Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby, the Sam Bygrave. That's me. My guest today is Tim Stone. Tim is the distiller at Hickson House Distilling Co., where he makes a trio of gins under the Hickson Road label. This was recorded a few weeks back on the day that they were making their first run of spirit that will become whiskey under that label. So Tim did have a bit on his plate as we were talking. That's part of the reason why it's so great to be talking to Tim at this juncture in his career. He began his career as a bartender working at a couple of influential London bars in the aughts before becoming the global brand ambassador for Beef Eater Gin. In this conversation, he talks about what it was like to be a brand ambassador in the days of healthy expense accounting and how that's changed today. We talk about the kind of brain you need to be a distiller, the creative process involved in crafting a new gin recipe, how he got experience in the distillery side of things and how he thinks about gin. He's a smart, humble, interesting guy at a very interesting point in his career in drinks. I hope you enjoy it. So my chat with Tim Stone's in just a minute, but first, this episode is sponsored by Australian Cocktail Month. It's a great initiative to get people back into the bars taking place this May. One ticket gets you access to exclusive cocktail menus in 144 bars across 12 cities for the entire month of May. You can learn more about Australian Cocktail Month at australiancocktailmonth.com.au and follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Australian Cocktail Month. Now, my chat with Tim Stones. Well, Tim Stones, welcome to the Drinks at Work podcast by Boothby. Thank you very much for having me. I can imagine when you sort of meet people and ask what you do for a living over a number of years now, it's kind of been an interesting thing to explain to people. Not only are you a distiller now, but you're a brand ambassador, a global brand ambassador. Yeah, yeah. It must be hard to explain to some people what you've done for a crust. Uh, people's, people's reactions generally been, oh, how do I get that job? Yeah. Um, basically. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today, which is great. Um, <laughs> But just to set the table first, so you, did you start out as a bartender and when, did, when were you bartending? Uh, I started pulling pints in a country pub in Dorset in southwest England where I grew up to earn money to go and travel to China to teach English when I was 19. Um, and uh, to kind of paraphrase uh, Sasha Petraska, I found I had a, a knack for menial tasks <laughs> and repetitive tasks. Um, so I ended up going back to uni and uh, yeah, started to uh, pull pints at uni to, to fund my pint consumption. Right. And what were you studying at uni? Uh, Chinese with economics and politics. Right. Uh, yeah, which was uh, really difficult, so I quit. Um, <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> what was difficult? Was it the, the language the, or the economics or the politics? It was the reading and the writing of the Chinese that really got me. Yeah. Um, but no, but it, yeah, it was an interesting degree, but it, it, uh, it, it, it wasn't for me. Um, I didn't like where I was and everything. So, uh, yeah, on, on, a, on a whim, as you know, sorry. So, I, yeah, I ended up going to see Rage Against the Machine in London. Following day, um, ducked into a pub, said, can I have a job? They went, yeah, come back in a week for trial. Came back a week later, and there began my, <laughs> my stellar bartending career. Well, you, you did work at uh, a pretty seminal bar over there, right? Trailer Happiness. Yeah, well, yeah, I was lucky enough to work at a couple. Worked at Lab for a few years, worked at Trailer for, for a few years as well. Yeah. So. How did the, how did the uh, Beef Eater Global Brand Ambassador gig come about? Bartending. Well, I was bartending at Lab. Um, we, all of us kind of ended up having, just by accident, a little bit of a, a niche. So one guy was really into his rums and tequilas. So if anybody came and wanted a drink like that, with that base, you go, go and see mate downstairs. Uh, I got really into gin drinks. And um, and oh, if you go and, go and see uh, go and see Tim upstairs, he'll he'll sort you out the best drink gin drink in the bar. 
um, which led to me getting the, uh, the backhanded uh, compliment nickname, the Gin Princess, <laughs> which uh, st is, still st is still stuck to this day. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I actually ended up applying for the, for the job originally when they first, when they first posted it. Uh, but I was beaten to it by uh, the legendary Dan Warner, um, who became the global PA. Um, and then they launched uh, Beefeater24 and decided to send Dan to the States for six months to focus on launching 24 in the States. Right. So I became a temporary contract caretaker ambassador in Dan's stead in uh, the UK and a bit of Europe. And basically Dan came back and they couldn't get rid of me. Um, so they I'm get, here now. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the chair. Yeah, my uh, my contract get, kept getting extended, and eventually I um I ended up as a permanent member of staff. Dan left. I ended up sharing the job of global BA with uh, Sebastian Hamilton Mudge, and yeah, spent eight and a half years swanning around the world, drinking and talking about gin. Did you find? Because I mean, Beefeater is owned by Perno, it's a pretty big company. Did you find you were a good fit for that sort of corporate life? Because you did. There are things on your resume like rematch BH and yeah. Um, Let's just say my career hasn't necessarily been massively corporate friendly over the years. Um, yeah, during, during my, my tenure at Trailer, um, Paul Mant and I uh, started uh, It's a Rematch Biatch, and we all, know, we all know what happened there. Well, well, for people who maybe don't know what that is, just what's the brief thing about it? Uh, it's, a it's a speed round, a set round of, I think it was 11 tiki drinks. Um, please don't ask me the listings, I can't remember. Um, Surprise, we're going to ask you to make them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you had to pick a track to do your round two and the uh, fastest, fastest round one. And frankly, it was an affront to bartending. <laughs> um, but uh, people, people... Bartenders loved it, though. Bartenders loved it. It became a big global thing. Um, I think we got used... I think it got used as a case study by... I think it might have been Bacardi um, as a case study in uh, guerrilla marketing. Right. Because it was word of mouth... By, by bartenders, for bartenders. But it wasn't marketing, it's was because it was everything that was marketing not. Oh, well, that was, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so yeah. Um, um, and then there was obviously, there was the Tiki Offs. So there was, the, well, so Rematch was spawned from Tiki Offs. Right. Paul Mant was running Mahiki in London in Mayfair, uh, Prince Harry's famous, uh, favorite bar at the time, home of debauchery. And I was running Trailer. And there was a lot of there was a lot of good natured kind of piss taking between me and Matt as to kind of who was the best bartender and everything. Yeah. Um, and we were supposed to go head to head in the first ever tiki off in the speed round, which was to do this round of eleven mystery drinks. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, Paul didn't do it. A guy called Rich Hunt, uh, another phenomenal bartender, ended up doing it, and we never got we never got to settle the argument, Paul and I. Right. Um, so we decided to open up trailer one Sunday, stick some tunes on, set the bar up, and and have at it. It's Paul a rematch. Had, yeah, it's a rematch, exactly. So Paul had the idea, was like, I bet a few other people might want to get involved in this. Um, and they did. So we said, all right, £50 in, uh, winner takes all. And the rest, as they say, is history. What was it like being a brand ambassador at that time? Because I suspect it might be a little bit different today to what it was, say, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, we were the last, I think we were the last kind of ones to really have free reign on an expense account yeah. kind of thing. Like you listen to Simon Ford talk about the yeah. early days of being a brand ambassador yeah. when there were no rules about anything. Yeah, exactly. So Simon, Simon and Max Warner uh, were on the first. I was lucky enough to work with Max for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and 
alongside well he was at Shivers when I was at Beefeater and they were kind of like the the earlier ones and, and we sort of learned from them um, did you ruin it for everyone else probably <laughs> <laughs> um, but no it was it was you know it was it was fun it was great I mean you had a responsibility yeah um, obviously you know you were you were you're there to promote the brand um, but I think we, we were definitely the last ones who were kind of like 100% former bartenders there to do a job of promoting a brand yeah. by engaging other bartenders uh, and talking about drinks, etc. I think now the role is, a, is much more sort of, much more of a crossover with the marketing department. Although we were part of the marketing team, we were, we were sort of essentially, you know, tame bartenders sent out into the wild. <laughs> no one expected uh, very much of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah. But yeah, but it was oh, it was great fun. It was eight and a half years of traveling around the world. Yeah, know, meeting people and eating and drinking in fine establishments. Was that was that ever uh, like a role that was in your brain as something that you wanted to do? Well, I think it was something that a lot of bartenders always kind of had an idea of doing. Yeah. I mean, back when I was a young bartender, it was always kind of like, oh, I really want you know, it was either get out because you hated it yeah. and you were there as a means to an end, or you found you quite loved you you loved it. He had a bit of a knack for it, which I think I was probably part of. Um, maybe I didn't have a knack, but I certainly loved it. But uh, so it was either kind of like open your own bar, or get the hell out, mm. or retire and vert commas into a BA role, yeah. and then work out what the hell it was you did from there. Yeah. Well, there's no there's no job after the BA role, surely. Well, what, what it, that was it. It was kind of like once you'd done with your BA, it was kind of like suddenly you're in the in the hinterland. <laughs> But you know, burnt out, unable to do anything except spank an expense account. <laughs> well, you, you you worked out you're able to do something. You you stepped into distilling. Well, that was it. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, obviously, being at Beefy, I was spending a lot of time down the distillery. I did a lot of bartender tours at, at the Beefy Distillery. Yeah. Uh, that was initially what I was employed to do, in Dan's uh, in Dan's absence. Being there, being around the distillers talking about the process, got really interested in it. I thought, you know what, this might be, you know, I can't, I can't be a BA forever. Um, my relationships and my liver are not going to stand it. Um, so <laughs> this, was, this was a way of kind of retiring into it a bit. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, retiring from that role, but still doing something that, that was, you know, in my blood. Yeah. You know, something I, I loved. So I asked the guys at the B-Feed, I said, look, will you, will you sponsor me to do my... Uh, general certificate of distillation. And they said yes, which I promptly failed. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I failed it first time around. Shit at exams. That's why, maybe that's why uni didn't go over so well. I passed the second time around. They were very kind enough to send me up to Scotland for a few weeks to, oh, cool. to sort of do a bit of uh, making whiskey up there, which was, which was fascinating. And to be honest, I, I, the, the, the plan was always to kind of pretty much work at Beefeater. Right. That's where I wanted to work. And then an Australian got in the way and yeah. three major spanners into the works. My partner, um, Alicia, so she worked at Beefeater. I met her there. Uh, I was, you know, she, she'd always had a plan to kind of move back here after nine years in London. And I was coming over here to Sydney and, and other parts of Oz for work. Mm. And I was like, you know, we should probably move here. It's pretty, it's pretty good here. And she's like, fine, let's do it. So I applied for a visa and, and <laughs> you let me in. But, so that was about 2016, and then, yeah, 2016 at Tales of a Cocktail, the night after the Spirited Awards, uh, Mikey Enright and I sat down and had a chat. Yeah. Um, I've known Mikey for years, um, always bumped into him around the, around the global circuit and everything. Yeah. 
and because um, he by this stage he had the, the barber shop and that was doing pretty good yeah so he'd opened the barber shop um big gin bar yeah i'd been here and we'd actually done the australian finals of the beef eater global comp at the barber shop yeah yeah i'd known mikey for a long time yeah and uh him and i had a chat um because him and julian his business partner in, in all the bars and whatnot uh they'd had an idea i mean jules jules was fascinated by the whole distillery thing i think he he'd always wanted to to open his own at some point. And then he'd worked on the sales side of yeah, spirit brands for CCA a long time. Yeah, all that. Knows, knows all that stuff, you know. So him and Mike had, um, had talked about it for a long time. Uh, and then Mikey got wind of the fact that I was moving to Australia. And he said, do you fancy, you know, do you feel like doing something together? I went, absolutely. Timings didn't work out. Mm. Um, and I ended up getting the job as a, uh, as a distiller at Manly Spirits. Yeah. And what was that time like at Manly Spirits? Because they, they were just, had they just started up, had they? They were literally, yeah, they were starting up. They, they had, half the distillery was built. They hadn't finalized the recipes yet. Yeah. So I went in there and sort of finalized the recipes. Right. Um, stared blankly at the stills for a while. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it, ended, it ended up being, uh, being quite good. How did, how did you feel going into that sort of situation? Were you like, oh, okay, this is where the stills are. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm comfortable here. Or was there a bit of like... Well, having... I mean, I'd, 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 run, I'd run the stills at Beef Eater and everything. So I knew... Imagine there's a bit of difference in size. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. About 10 times the size. Yeah. It, for, it was just one of them as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I knew the processes and everything. Uh, but, of it, but I'd never... I'd never had to get on the, the, the literal... You know, get on the tools literally to fix stuff or right. do stuff. And yeah, I'd been to make whiskey at, at Glintockus, but I mean, that's a distillery that's been running for years and years. I mean, they, they know what's going on. You weren't telling them how to do it? No. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I was learning on the job. And I will always be grateful to a uh, um, guy called Garrett Sherman, um, one, of the, one of the main brewers at Four Pines, because he basically taught me how to do the whole brewing side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I nominally made some whiskey with the assistance of somebody in, yeah. in Scotland. And um, when they asked me, they're like, you made whiskey? I was like, yep. <laughs> and what, just, I'll interrupt now because this is kind of an auspicious day as well, right? Because this is the first time you've turned on the whiskey stills and are running spirit through it, is that Yeah, right? first, first, uh, first spirit run. Yeah, and so uh, you're, a bit you're a bit flustered as well because <laughs> you've got to work out yeah. the cut. What are, you, what are you trying to work out at the moment? Uh, just, just the cut point of, um, of the hearts the, to the tails, right? Or, fa uh, or faints. Um, so as it, it start, it started off kind of with some really nice kind of like bright grassy notes, and yeah, uh, there's a little bit of kind of like really nice kind of burnt toffee in there as well, which is really, really wasn't expecting, but it was really, really tasty. Yeah, uh, and that sort of progresses, and now we're getting towards the point where you're collecting the fusel oils and all the heavier compounds, right? And you want to, you want to. You want to strike a balance between collecting some of that stuff, yeah. Because while it doesn't taste necessarily great right now, it does wonderful things over a few years in a barrel. Right. So you you're trying to strike a balance between getting some of that but not getting too much of that. Okay. Um, but then having said that, this is the first run, so it hasn't had any uh, heads and tails back in the still like like we would, like the next run will. So because it's traditional kind of pot. Um, uh, Scotch style, so the next run will be different again. So we're just kind of working out basically how much fusel oils we want in 
dispatch and how, we're gonna, how much we're going to leave in the tails. How do you envisage the next like few weeks and, and months of running that steel is going to work? Yeah, deeply stressful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because there's, there's no, I mean, there's a there's a way you distill things and whatever, yeah. but there's no necessarily playbook on what flavors you're going to get out of this thing because it's a new still. And do you have an idea of what you're going for to put in a barrel for a certain amount of time and then to eventually bottle? Or is yeah, how yeah, does you have, you have an work? idea. You've got a rough idea of yeah. what you're what you're trying to achieve. So you work out your your, your malt blend and your the yeast you want to use. And uh, but this, I mean, it's only it's only the second sort of whiskey I've really made. Yeah. Um, after Manly Spirits, uh, so our stills are different to theirs. Although they're classic pot style stills. Yeah. They're shaped slightly differently. The line arms are angled differently. Sure. And that makes so, a yeah. different spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Desmond, Desmond Payne at Beefy, a, a guy who basically taught me when I make gin, uh, always said, everything makes a difference, <laughs> which is delightfully obvious. Yeah, that's <laughs> But quite, quite pertinent, yeah. because the, smart, the slightest thing can, can skew something in another direction. Yeah. So you run the still, you run the still faster, yeah. you get different flavors out, you get less volume out yeah. kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's striking a balance, and today, today and the last few days on the wash stills has been kind of just really sort of seeing how things behave. Yeah. And now we'll start, the next runs will now start to have more of an idea of what, of, of what is going to happen down the line. Yeah. But then, it, but then again, it's going to sit in barrel for how, you know, how yeah. many years. So yeah, things, things change. It's fascinating, right? Yeah, it's because crazy. there's so many variables yeah. and you, I guess you're trying to keep an idea, uh, an eye on all that sort of stuff. But then there's also just, what happens over time? Yeah, totally. And, and, and I'm very much, very, very much in my nascence of, of um, distilling. Yeah. Um, I like to think I'm all right at making some, you know, bit of gin. Yeah. Uh, but whiskey's whiskey's another world. Yeah. It, it's, it scares me, frankly. <laughs> um, and especially in this, uh, this place, you know, building this. I've never built a distillery from scratch. Mm. I mean, not that I've done it all myself there's been some wonderful wonderful people along the way yeah uh, but um my learning curve for this has basically been a vertical line yeah it's amazing yeah it's insane yeah. Um, i mean what better like education though right yeah 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 i'm here you learn, go learn by Run doing with it. learn by doing uh there's been yeah it's been it's been a lot of people whose phones have been ringing <laughs> off the hook going Dude, <laughs> I need some help, man. Just talk about the gins, because you've got, th uh, yeah. under the Hickson Road label, there's three gins. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how each one's different to each other, and then what's the thinking about behind having three of those? Well, I think, I mean, part of what we do with the gins is, because of Mike and I's backgrounds, we're very, I mean, I spent a long time working for one of, if not the classic, yeah. London dry gin. And, you know, Mikey, Mikey likes a classic gin as well. So one, so one of the things we wanted to do was kind of Keep one foot in, in that camp, and obviously keep one foot in the Australian camp. You know, mm. I've said it before many times, but there's some insane ingredients here. It's mm. ridiculous. So we wanted to kind of make, you know, traditional style gins almost, but with with an Aussie slant. And we're not reinventing the wheel in any way, but we're making we're making gins that we want to drink. And you know, I'd like to think that we kind of know we know what half decent gin is. You You'd know, like to think so, You'd Jim, like to think. Because otherwise you've wasted a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's been fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, so there's the three at the moment. There's the sort of, I suppose, if you could call it the flagship, the, the, uh, 
the Aussie dry. Yeah. And I think for me, this is this is kind of the gin I always wanted to make. It's great in a gin tonic that I just had. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. perfect. It didn't last very long. No, I found I find it dangerously Moorish. Yeah. In a gin. That's the word for it, though. It's Moorish, right? Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Um, yeah, let's just say during lockdown, um, the multiple lockdowns, we were doing, uh, I was doing recipe development yeah. on a test cell in my garage. And sometimes the evenings got a little blurred and maybe the tasting notes weren't particularly legible the following day. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know you're onto a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the recipe process for this because I find it fascinating because there's so many different ways you could combine botanicals yeah. in a mix and call it a gin. Yeah. How many, for the, say for the Australian dry gin, how, how many different versions did you go through to get the, f the recipe that you've got now? Is the recipe done now? Will you recipe's never change done. it? No, recipe's done. Recipe's done. I had a rough flick through the folder, which I've, so I've got, a, I've got a, a run sheet from every test one I did. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a lever arch file about three inches thick at the moment. Okay. So there's quite a few. I know obviously there were other things in there. There's individual distillates in there to see how something behaved. There's other recipes, but there's got to be at least a couple of hundred right. iterations of the Australian dry alone. And so you, it's a very methodical kind of process you're taking. Like you, you document everything you find. And yeah, you, have an, so you, you start with an idea. Um, you know, for the three gins we have now, they, they share the same base. Right. But there's slight tweaks within that. Uh, the base being um, it's basically the classic, classic four. Um, uh, juniper, coriander seed, angelica root, and orris root. Yeah. It's basically the unofficial four that make up nearly every London dry gin there is. And then, so, I mean, and we use that because it works and because we are, I suppose, at heart relative traditionalists. So we use that because it works. Uh, and then, you know, it's just other things along the way that you want to you wanna try and go in. So, okay, but went with that, that sort of that traditional core. Is there like a spec that you're working from, like, you know, that's close to say the beef eater spec or, you know, some other brand spec? Uh, no. I'm not asking you to give me this. No, 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 <laughs> no, sure. Um, um, no, this was kind of, I know, obviously, you, you know that these are the four. Yeah. Having worked at Beefit, I know the proportions that work. Yeah. This is definitely not the proportions of Beefeater. Yeah, this yeah. This is my, yeah. This is my variation on those four. Right. And then you, you know, you have an idea that you, you something might work. I stumbled upon Native Time a few years ago. Yeah. Um, somebody sent a sample in and, uh distilled it and I was like, fuck, that's delicious. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that in my back pocket. Keep that in my back pocket for a while. And so I, I knew, I knew all along that I wanted to use this because it's a delicious ingredient and I just really wanted to make it work. Yeah. The downside to it is it stinks of weed. Oh, right. Yeah, so if, if anyone's trying the, the Aussie dry, if they think it smells a bit like weed. That's that. Then, it's, uh, it's the, it's the um, native time, but it's also what makes it so Moorish. Right, that's the thing. That's the thing, because it adds a little herbal savory element to it. Then kind of orange, kind of, yeah, you know what, I've tried it with orange peel, that works really, really well. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then it was just kind of adding sort of adjuncts really to kind of help round it all out. Um, how, how much of it is sort of done up in your head? It's like, this should work, this should work. As oh, opposed to like, yeah, a good chunk. For, for me at least, a good chunk's done. I, you know, I mean, I suppose having a having a background like I have, you know, managed to work with, with flavors and things. You, you have a good idea of what's going to work. Yeah. But one of the fun things about this was, you know, and um, rather distilling ingredients is 
they don't necessarily turn out how you expect them to turn out. Exactly right. Many years ago, I tried to distill, distill uh, cacao beans, thinking I'd get a really nice, rich, creamy chocolate thing. Yeah. And it came out like tequila. Just oh, really? Weirdly grassy and herbaceous. Did not expect that. Yeah, cool. Um, and some things don't distill. Some things, yeah, high water content things, in my experience, don't tend to come across so well. You don't get much flavor out of them. Yeah. So, so we just started playing around with things. I mean, I'm a, plus I'm an absolute addict for um, anything licorice or aniseed. Mm. So we put licorice root in there, just a little bit, and some aniseed myrtle. Yes. Licorice gives sweetness and a mouthfeel. Aniseed myrtle gives those really nice top sort of grassy aniseed notes. And put oolong tea in it. Okay, what does that give it? Um, it ties everything together. Uh, you don't necessarily taste it, but it just ties everything together. Right. And that was a bit of a nod to Desmond, really, because uh, yes, yeah, I was like, you know, I can't use I can't use green tea because <laughs> <laughs> be it's twenty four, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just try the oolong because it's got nice sort of apricot-y notes to it and everything. So we threw that in there. How did you know when you were done? When it was the recipe was because that's what I think I would struggle with if I whenever I'm making anything, I'm like. Is it good yet or not? I don't know. Um, we just kept coming back to this one particular one. Okay. We just kept coming back to And so it wasn't just you, it was you and Mikey and Julian? No, obviously, uh, no. Um, obviously, my, with Mike and Jules running the barbershop, we were very lucky to have um, some really good gin-focused palettes on, yeah. a, on a panel. So, you know, some of the bartenders would, would sit in on the tastings and would write notes and they'd say, I like this, or I don't like this. I'd tell them that they're wrong. Um, <laughs> no way was I precious at all. Um, <laughs> very good. But no, I, but very, I mean, but very, very much the whole, the whole development thing was very much by committee. You know, obviously Mike's, Mike's got a phenomenal palate. Steve McDermott, um, old bar manager at the Clarence, who's now yeah. in, the, in the distillery with me, he was always on there. Plus the guys in the barbershop. Yeah. Um, and bless Julian was, um, Julian was obviously always in on them. And we'd ask Julian's opinion. He'd be like, oh, no, no, you don't want my opinion. What do I know? I'm just saying, I'm like, dude, your opinion matters. You're, 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 you're the one that's coming into this with the least amount of prejudice. Yeah. So what, what, you, what you say matters. Yeah, so he, he was very much the everyman, yes. uh, which is super useful to have because you, you can cloud it with too many, you know, opinions. And so now, like, all that sort of creative work done is done. Now is the execution time. Like, what, what, what's a typical day in the distillery for you at the moment? I don't know yet, really. Yeah. We're, we're still sort of, um, we're still finding our feet a little bit. We're still learning how the equipment works. But I suppose now in terms of the gin, really, it's, it's about replication. Yeah. It's about faithful replication of what you decided on. So you have to have some quality control measures in place where every yeah, batch yeah. you're checking. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, absolutely. is that through equipment or is that through nose or? Uh, it's, uh, it's through nose. Yeah. Through nose and palate. I mean, because all the tests were done on a 700 mil glass laboratory still. Yeah. And while it works on there, you're scaling up. And it's, it's not like, it's not like cook. It was like, like to, to kind of baking, I suppose. You can scale a stew up, you know, you just get a bigger pot and you put proportional ingredients in and it, and it turns out what it, you know, turns out right. You can't scale up baking. It's, so scale ups don't necessarily work. Yeah. And there was always a very ner nervous moment at Beef Eater uh, where you'd scale up from a two litre bench still to a 6,800 litre yeah. production still. 
it worked in that instance. But uh, but one thing we did find that was the recipes didn't scale up correctly on on the 800 liter downstairs. Right. So we had to go back and tweak a few things. Yeah. Um, to make sure that it was faithful to the to the recipe and the flavor profile that we decided on. So. Yeah. How long did that take? Um, a couple of weeks. Because, I mean, with all these different botanicals, and it's like, okay, well, what are the variables that we're going to tweak there? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Uh, mo I mean, most of it in, in terms of scaling up for that is, is, is a time and heat kind of thing. Okay. So you have to work out. Like baking then? Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. If it takes longer to heat up proportionally than your little still did, you're getting more extraction yeah. out of the botanical, yeah. which means... Um, different flavor profile. Would, would you say that you've got like a math kind of brain? Or no. No? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I know I'm awful at, awful at maths. Um, I've had to get better at it. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you've got to be pretty analytical about what you're doing there, right? It's a, it's a halfway house for me anyway. I mean, there's, there's distillers out there who are all, all about the art. And there's distillers out there who are all about the maths yeah. and the physics and everything. I'm trying... I'm trying to learn more about maths and physics and etc. to have it to 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 balance it out. Um, I'll, I'll wrap it up because I know yeah, you're a busy yeah. man. Um, but uh, I do want to ask you about gin market more broadly at the moment, it's particularly in Australia, because there's something like 900 SKUs out there. I was talking to the gin queen. Is that right? Wow. Caroline Ashford the other Is that day. Australia alone. Australian gin SKUs. So have we reached peak gin? Do you think? <laughs> Is there more out there? Well, the market would certainly suggest otherwise. Well, when I was when I was bartending still in London, um, we you know many years ago, we started to see the beginning of the whole gin thing happening. Yeah, and it went on for about five years, and we were like, oh, "This is going to have to it's going to have to come soon." It, you know, everything's cyclical. You know, it's all going to end up yep. done soon. Uh, and then it went to ten. It has to stop. Uh, and then. And then um, at 10, I called it. I'm like, you know what? I give this another five years. I was very wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here we are. I, d I don't think. I think we, I, we definitely haven't reached peak gin yet. There's, there's still a lot of scope, I think. It will, it will reach a point. Are there, are there any sort of styles of gin that are exciting you at the moment? Can you be excited by gin anymore after how much you've drunk? <laughs> yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's necessarily styles because there's so much variation. Yeah. Um, and there's such a there's such a there's such a blurring of lines within the gin production world. You know, um, there's really only a couple of rules you got to follow. Yeah. As long as it's got juniper in it, and that's your main ingredient. You know, and even then that's debatable because it's all done by organoleptics. It's all done by smell and taste. So if I know something and say. I don't think that's predominantly juniper. I don't think that's gin. Mm. Another person can go, well, I get predominantly juniper, so... Well, and this is what I found difficult doing the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards yeah, this year, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it's meant to be predominantly juniper. I'm like, but everyone's got a different idea of what predominantly juniper means. Exactly, exactly. So, so that's your rule, and that's getting blurred. Um, and then you've got, the, you've got your, your rules for London dry gin, and that's, that seems to be pretty much it. Yeah. So there's so much scope for creativity and everything going on. So I, I, I don't think it's going to... So there isn't one particular kind of style of gin necessary that I, that I am excited about. I like balanced gins. 
it's got Desmond always Desmond always explained it really well, and it's something I always try to I try to do in anything I make. I think the flavors are like a color on a spectrum, like colors on a spectrum. So yeah, um, at one end you've got your light citrusy stuff that moves into floral, then it moves into your core of that piney juniper note, and you go into spice and earthiness. And if you can pick out elements of all those along the way you generally got a pretty good balanced gin. Yes. That's, that's something I always try to do. It always sits at the back of my mind. That I think I'm more, I get more excited about producers than I do um, sort of styles and stuff. Cool. Um, I, th I, I think there's some, there's some insanely good, insanely good gins in Australia. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't dare mention any of them. <laughs> I wasn't going to make yeah. it. <laughs> but there's, there's, some guys do, there's some guys doing some phenomenal stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and a couple of them in particular, sometimes I taste their gins and I'm like, why am I even bothered? <laughs> well, from what I've tasted, it's been pretty delicious so far. Thank you. So it sounds like the bar is starting to kick off downstairs and it I'm is. sure you've got more things to do in the distillery, but... I'm about, I'm about to head off for a Chinese New Year, so... Oh, there you go. Well, thank you very much for your time. No problem, Sam. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cheers. That was my chat with Tim Stones. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did making it. He's a great guy to talk to and he's making some delicious gin. I'd encourage you to give the Hickson Road Australian Dry Gin a go in either a martini or a gin and tonic. It is delicious. Uh, this is just episode three of Drinks at Work. We've got many more on the way. And if you've got any feedback or there's someone you want to hear from, my email is sam at boothby.com.au. If you are enjoying the show, please consider giving it a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps others who also might like the show find the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>